a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes. They deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of November 20th through the 24th, 2023. We are in the clubs sector of the champions wildcard. We've got quarterfinal and semifinal games this week. Uh, Yes, which we will talk about. But before we talk about those, let's talk about us. Kyle, what's new? Well, for for the first time in three and a half years, I, I got the Rona. I got the COVID. It caught up to me finally. It heard mm-hmm. me taunting it. Just kidding. Yep. I wasn't. I wasn't taunting it. But mm-hmm. never tested positive before this week. And then come Monday, took a test. Turns out I am one hundred percent positive for COVID. Mm-hmm. And Mazel Tov. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yep, I made it. I joined joined the ranks of most people. But that changed our plans for Thanksgiving, which was a bummer. But I mean, what are you going to do? So that's been my week. None of my family has tested positive all week, so that's something. It's good. Yeah. Not sure how we accomplished that or maintained it, but there we go. How are you doing? How's your Thanksgiving? Um, I'm doing all right. Thanksgiving was good. I got my sisters and their partners here, and then my parents arrived on Thanksgiving evening. They were going to be with my grandmother, but she also has the Rona. So I hope you and she recover well and quickly and don't give it to anybody. Yeah. And we're Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was good. My husband spatchcocked the turkey. And what does that mean? Oh, to spatchcock is to like take out the backbone so that you can like open it up and like lay it Mm. it flat for more even cooking. So he did it like in like a smoker grill thing. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And we did a mix of home cooked and catered food to, you know, kind of have an abundance of side dishes without having to cook all of them. But I made creamed onions and Brussels sprouts and corn casserole and kale salad and also a pumpkin caramel pie, which I think I posted a link to on our Patreon last year. I think I did. I think I was talking about my pumpkin caramel pie and I was like, you know what? It's a great pie. I will put a link on there. I think I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's been good. And we're going to go see the holiday lights at the Bronx Zoo tomorrow evening. Yeah. Yeah. So happy Thanksgiving listeners. I hope you had a good one and happy holiday season, whatever you celebrate. But hey, let's talk about these Jeopardy games. So Monday... November 20th, the contestants are Deanna Bolio, a community outreach supervisor from Campbell, California, Kevin Hirsch, an attorney from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and Verlinda Johnson-Henning, a human resources and leadership consultant from Memphis, Tennessee. And they are playing the Jeopardy categories, One Man, One Career, One Team, All God's Creatures, Wars by Battle, Stupid Answers, Opus and Opera, and A Little Dabble Do Ya. Deb. D-E-B in quotation marks. I love the fact at the $200 level of all God's creatures, an owl cannot move these from side to side, so it must move its head. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's 
eyes. In order to have such excellent eyesight, owls' eyes are more of a cylinder shape. Right. They're not they're not like eyeballs. They're yeah. eye tubes. Yep. Which lets them have like a big lens and then like a long focal length. Mm. But then it's not a it's not a sphere or roughly spherical like ours, so they can't move side to side. And that is that's the reason that owls need to be turn able their to heads. turn their head yes. completely around. Uh-huh. Pretty cool, also very weird. Mm-hmm. They're like Batman before Christian Bale. Yeah. Deanna had a miss and Verlinda got the rebound at the $800 level of that same All God's Creatures category. This two-humped camel is probably named for the ancient country in Central Asia where it originated. Deanna tried what is the dromedary, but it is the Bactrian. You can remember that be which one is the one humped and which is the two humped camel because a d for dromedary has one hump and a b for bactrian has two humps that's right yeah which is a joke that very few people get when you're outside of the context of camels and there is a reference to any number of humps hmm. which i make all the time but i wish i could think of a specific instance because then this the story just sounds dumb but i have made that joke numerous times about like like you know I don't know, talking about different kinds of mountains or whatever. And I'm like, oh, well, that's a Bactrian one. It's <laughs> great. Okay. Never mind. I- I'm here for it. Thanks. They did all right in Opus and Opera. They did. Um, uh, only the $1,000 level wasn't correctly answered. His Opus 68 is from the Bohemian Forest, composed around 1883. Verlinda tried who is Wagner, but it is Dvorak. Yeah, you should think. Bohemia, and then think Czech, and then think Dvorak. I guess is the the route there. Yeah, yeah. There, we we're not expected to know any other Czech composers. Yeah, I'm just going to go on again yeah. on record. I think I've stated on record many times that I don't like the stupid answers category. Mm-hmm. I don't enjoy it, and I still don't enjoy it. I think it's a waste of a category. That's just me, I guess. So I'll yeah. just move on to the to the Daily Double. Uh, Daily Double number one is in Opus and Opera. It's at the $400 level. Pick number 27, pretty late in the round. Deanna finds it. Uh, she's at 5,000. Ferland is at 2,400. Kevin is at 2,200. She would 2,600. Gets a clue. These are repetitions of a theme with changes. Paganini's Opus 9 is these on God Save the King. And she gets correct with what are variations. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Deanna's in a big lead at 8,200. And Verlinda and Kevin are both tied at 2,400. The double Jeopardy categories are Etched in Stone, Movie Sequels, named the original movie, uh, A Matter of Taste, People in Their Element, There's Always Next Term, and Lesser Known Ancient Romans, which are not actual ancient Romans. It's just words that end in U.S. Yeah. I was expecting actual lesser known ancient Romans and... It is not that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ken gave a clarification. I was trying to watch this with a house full of children. <laughs> Difficult. Yeah. Difficult to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a matter of taste at the $1,200 level, the clue was one of the three zesty ingredients of the original Tabasco brand sauce. And nobody tried that. That was red pepper, salt, or vinegar. I would have just guessed vinegar. Yeah. 
at the very um, least, you know? Yeah. I wondered whether there were three total ingredients or whether three of them were had been judged zesty by the writers. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, that's fair. And uh, I think I would ha- also have hesitated. And I wasn't sure if maybe it was like specific pepper varieties, you know, but... But yeah, they were just looking. It just has three ingredients, and you could have named any of them. Yeah. I think the word zesty was just added for interest. Maybe. I'm not sure I would characterize salt as a zesty ingredient. No, I, d- I don't think of zesty with, with salt. That's that's fair. Yeah. Daily Double number two is at the $2,000 level of A Matter of Taste. It's pick number 12, and Deanna finds it. She's at 13,400 with Verlinda at 3,600 and Kevin at 3,200. She wagers 3,400 of it. I think maybe thinking if she misses, she'll drop to a nice even 10,000. She gets the clue, wine tasting term for the final impression left on the palate. It's supposed to be long. She tries aftertaste, which is not necessarily, I think, the, you know, the main term I would think of for this, but they will accept that. The finish is, I think, what wine aficionados call that, but aftertaste fits. So that counts. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It's not wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, And Daily Devil number three is two picks later. It's at the $1,200 level of There's Always Next Term. Indiana finds this one as well. So she found all three, which puts you in a good position to win the game if you do that. She's at 17,600. Verlinda is still at 3,600. Kevin's still at 3,200. She wagers 2,600. Gets a clue. In the U.S. House GOP leadership, speaker, majority leader, and she gets it correct with majority whip. Mm-hmm. Yep. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Deanna has a lock position. She's at 19,800. Kevin's at 8,000. Verlinda's at 6,800. And the final Jeopardy category is U.S. Presidents, where we get the clue. Seven U.S. Presidents were born in the state of Ohio, beginning with this man who entered West Point in 1839. And Verlinda got this one correct with who is Ulysses Grant and a thank you to Jeopardy. And she wagered everything. So she goes up to 13,600. Kevin also put who is Grant, and he also wagered everything. So he goes to 16,000. And Deanna wrote Tyler, crossed it out. Oh, Kevin had tried Cleveland and crossed it out, switched to Grant. So Deanna wrote Tyler, crossed it out, started to write Hayes, or maybe maybe she was just going to stop at Hay, thinking of Rutherford B. Hayes, who I believe was from Ohio. I believe so, too. Yeah. So... She missed, but she had a lock position. She wagered just 79. So she drops to 19,721 and gets that semifinalist spot. Yeah. So on Tuesday, we have the last of the quarterfinals for the clubs with Sandy Olive, a high school English teacher from St. Louis, Missouri. Ed Hashima, a community college history professor from Sacramento, California. And Nick Heiss, a technical solutions engineer from Madison, Wisconsin. The Jeopardy Round categories are A Drop in Witch Ocean, Cartoons, Speak of the Devil, Chicken Soup, To Be or Not To Be, which has two word responses, one with two Bs, one with one, and All About Acting. Mm -hmm. Trying to fit the two B and one B parameters pulls out some, some, some less common vocabulary. Yes. Like the thousand dollar clue that was a triple stumper, a British slang term meaning swindle or a British aristocrat such as a duke. Noble is one of them. And apparently novel is a British slang term 
for swindle. Really, you could say anything and claim that it's a British slang twer- term for something. I would believe it. Yeah. yeah. Make up any sound and it's like, yep, yeah, that's a Britishism. Mm-hmm. You could also claim basically anything is Cockney slang. I'd be like, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Believe it 100%. Yep. yep. The drop in which ocean category. We took these a little bit out of order. With this kind of category, I, I'm always wondering whether they are going to be willing to repeat. Mm-hmm. Right? Because there are enough oceans that you could have five different oceans. Is Antarctic an ocean? I don't think it is. Is it? Because well, then there are, are only wait, four are oceans, there not? Right? Oh no, there's only four. Are there? Only, I'm I'm wrong, aren't I? I I don't know what the fifth one would be. Yeah, no, you're. I I am incorrect. Yes, they no. Antarctic is not. Wait, five oceans says that. No, four oceans. Wait, what? That's what I'm asking. Arctic, yes. Indian, Pacific, Atlantic. Yeah. Oh no. What, what would the fifth ocean be? What would the fifth ocean be? I went to the Wikipedia page. And it turns out there are five different ways that oceans are classified. Maybe that's what I'm remembering. And it's showing it's got like <laughs> the how many it like rotates through different maps, depending on, you know, which scheme you're going with. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But no, it's four. It's a world map of uh, Southern Ocean. Southern Ocean is if, if you're going with the five ocean model, the Southern Ocean is what you southern call. Ocean. Yeah. But I think four oceans is generally what we go with around mm-hmm. these parts around these parts yeah you can go as low as one and just call it <laughs> the world ocean, <laughs> ocean. <laughs> which makes some sense because it is all connected mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's where all, where do you really draw the yeah, line like political borders it's just all made up <laughs> all right so so there are four oceans <laughs> around these parts <laughs> and so they did have to repeat <laughs> they repeated the pacific and then in cartoons, at the $800 level, we had another ocean. We had the fifth ocean. He had a two-part <laughs> request in the title of the 1988 number one hit, Get Out of My Dreams, Get In My Car. Ed got it. That's Billy Ocean. Billy Ocean. The fifth ocean. Or the sixth, depending. The sixth. Yeah. Or the second. Mm-hmm. Oceans don't make sense. We also had a, a triple stumper at the $800 level of chicken soup. They showed a, a video-ish, or a picture. I think it was a video, but it wasn't really doing much. One of the state's official symbols is seen here. It showed a showed chicken. Mm-hmm. Specifically, it showed a Rhode Island red. Yes. That was a triple stumper. Yeah. That's the state bird of Rhode Island. It is. Study your state birds, people. Yep. I think Delaware's is the blue hen. I have a friend who has tattoos mm-hmm. of the Rhode Island red and the Delaware blue hen. I think that's, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's the Delaware blue hen. Daily double number one is in Speak of the Devil. It's at the $600 level. Pick number 19. Sandy finds this one. She's at 2600 with Nick at 1200 and Ed at 4000 And she makes it a true daily double. Good move early, you know. Well, I guess we're not early in the round, but a good move, you know, in the Jeopardy round with scores pretty low. She gets the clue. This 17th century work says, Abashed the devil stood and felt how awful goodness is, saw and pined his loss. And she gets it correct. It's Paradise Lost. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Nick is at 3,400, Ed is at 4,200, Sandy has taken and kept the lead with 5,400, and the double Jeopardy categories are 19th Century Scrapbook, International Cinema Showcase, Teaching, 
communication, a pain in the R's, and make the phrase. Those were all phrases, idioms, whatever, that had make in them. At the $2,000 level of make the phrase, something that serves as a substitute, especially of an expedient nature, is make this. Sandy got it with do, make do. Do you Mm -hmm. think they would have taken makeshift? As a substitute, especially of a succeeding. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't see why not. Yeah. yeah. I wondered, because that was, that. that was the response that came to me. Mm-hmm. Ken didn't specify an alternative answer they would have accepted, but I don't quite see a reason it doesn't work. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. Throw back to your deep dive of a few days ago in 19th century scrapbook at the $400 level. This imposing American landmark is seen here as it looked in 1876, and it was the it was a partially finished obelisk. Uh, that right. was the Washington Monument. Yes. In 1876. Must have been just getting back to work. Mm-hmm. We had a surprising, I think, like, miss and miss and rebound in the communication at the $1,200 level. We don't usually get clues like that. The clue is Carl Ferdinand Braun shared a 1909 Nobel Prize with this man for the development of wireless telegraphy. Sandy guessed who is Morse, which... I mean, telegraphy, yes, but also very much wired. Yeah. Nick guessed who is Bell. I, I think that would be closer, but that's Marconi. Marconi is the the name to associate with like a radio and wireless mm-hmm. communication. Yeah. So Ed got the, Ed, Ed picked up the scraps there after that. Daily double number two is pick number 22. It's in the teaching category at the $1,600 level. Ed finds it. He is, you know, a professor, so hopefully he's going to do okay in education. He's at 11,800. Nick is at 5,800. Sandy's at 13,400. He wagers 4,000. It's the clue. This term for a list of items to be covered in a course is from the Greek for parchment label. And of course, he gets that. It's a syllabus. Mm-hmm. And that is, to me, not a $1,600 cl- clue in the double jeopardy round or a daily double. I thought yeah, that for was sure. like, that's like $400 level. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah, and Daily Double number three is at the $2,000 level of 19th century scrapbook. Ed finds this one as well. It's at pick number 26. At this point, he is at 17,000. Nick is still at 5,800. Sandy has picked up a little bit and is at 14,200. Ed wagers 7,000, and he gets the clue. Pictured here around 1890, he was the original Iron Man. And he gets that one correct. That is Bismarck. And then Sandy has some misses trying to, or just one, just one miss. No, a couple, a couple misses as we head toward final jeopardy. Yeah. Cause she's trying to keep Ed within reach, but mm-hmm. unfortunately going into final jeopardy, Ed is in a lock position at 29,600. Well, unfortunately for Sandy and Nick, yeah. fortunately for Ed, Sandy's at 10,600, Nick's at 5,800. Final Jeopardy category is television, and the clue is this series grew out of a screenplay titled Murdoch. And they all went the Murdoch Mysteries route, I guess. Mm-hmm. Nick guessed, well, kind of. Nick guessed what is Daredevil, which Matt Murdoch is the name of the character, although I think it's spelled with a K. That's incorrect. <clears throat> he wagered everything but a dollar. Sandy put what is Matlock. Uh, that's also incorrect. She wagered everything. Shops down to zero. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ed also put what is Matlock, but he wagered nothing. This is succession based on Rupert Murdoch. Mm-hmm. I said that out loud with the, with the members of my family in the room. They thought I was making a joke. 
You said succession? I said succession, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Way to go. Did you figure it out? No. No, absolutely not. I was like, I don't know TV. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't watched Succession, so I don't, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not living in my brain the way it is for many, many, many people. Yeah, I'm sure you know HBO series, but the you know it's about a family that the patriarch of which is like the uh, founder of a of a like major like media empire. So mm-hmm. so yeah, that that came to mind for me. Um, I wasn't I was not a hundred percent. I wasn't I wasn't very confident, but I wasn't. I couldn't. I I didn't think of the Murdoch mysteries direction. I I thought immediately of Rupert Murdoch and didn't know what it could be about, what TV show it could be if not Succession. Mm, nice. Yeah. So that brings us to Wednesday. This is the first game of the club's semifinals. Our contestants are Kit Sikelski, a freelance graphic designer from Kent, Ohio; Deanna Bolio, a community outreach supervisor from Campbell, California, and. Nick Casconi, an orthopedic physician assistant, originally from Queens, New York. And the Jeopardy round categories are books with B in quotation marks, sports talk, the instrument of death, pasta shapes, building terms, and onomatopoeia. The $400 level of the instrument of death, I need to go back and, I guess, relearn this. I That's not what I learned. In oh. 1914, Franz Ferdinand didn't say take me up, but was this, but was anyway via this. Apparently he was shot. Yeah. I I don't know if I just filled in the blank in my brain incorrectly and was never actually taught it, or if I was taught it incorrectly, but I, I was taught that it was a grenade. Oh. Like a grenade was thrown in his car. Hmm. A- apparently not. I wonder. I remember I remember learning that he had been shot, but for some reason I thought they were you know that you they, that they would want to know like what kind of gun specifically which i don't know why i thought that I was like i don't know like how specific do you need to be here yeah yeah it's a gun yep yeah i don't know i don't know where i learned that or why that stuck in my head but yeah huh. it was wrong hand grenades were provided to the assassins apparently i can't read the whole wikipedia article here today <laughs> while we record right. but right. but i did i did a i did a word search i did a search for the word grenade in the in the wikipedia article and i think grenades are like connected with the story but the sure. murder weapon itself was a gun we had a couple connections to deep dives in this category the 600 level of books sylvia plath died one month after this novel of hers was published that's a bell jar mm-hmm. i got that one a uh, 600 level of instrument of death in 1880 Outlaw Ned Kelly was doing this around Melbourne. Yeah. Kit guessed what is bushwhacking before before this happened, before he died. Yes. But that's hanging. Yeah. Uh, I talked about Ned Kelly. That's right. I do wonder, like, having a, like, it has to start with B category on the board sometimes throws me off. I wonder if that happened with Kit, where maybe she you know like oh. was was imposing that like starts with a b category from mm-hmm. uh requirement from the books category in her mind i have that mm-hmm. i have that happen sometime where there's a word sometimes where there's a wordplay category and then i start running all of my responses <laughs> through through the filter of like it has to end in you know ious or like whatever it is that's yeah yeah that happens sometimes daily double number one is in the books category at the eight hundred dollar level Pick number eight. Nick finds it. He's at 1,000. Deanna's at 400. Kit's at 600. Wagers 1,000. Gets the clue. The title of this bestseller by Ann Patchett refers to a smooth style of opera singing. 
and he shakes his head and says, Opera? And he guesses what is belting it out. But it is it is bel canto, which I think I've talked about before as the name of the style of operatic singing. Yeah. Yeah, you may have. And, you know, I mean, I'm not a big opera aficionado, but I think Bel Canto, like, it won some literary awards. Like, I feel like you don't you don't actually need to know opera to know Ann Patchett bestseller starts with B is Bel Canto. Mm. Mm-hmm. You can get in either way. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Nick is at 5,000, Deanna's at 3,800, Kit's at 2,400. Double Jeopardy categories are Belgium. Sorry about that. We are sorry about Belgium. Title role actors. 18th century technology, company name, origins, and tag, you're it, with T-A-G in quotation marks. Felt bad for Kit at the $2,000 level of company name origins. The aerial services of this state and this territory of Australia gave Qantas its name. Kit guess what's Queensland? And can just remain silent. Kit says Queensland, what's Queensland? Time runs out. Nick rings in and says, what is Queensland and the Northwest Territory? That's also incorrect. They're, bo- they're both wrong, but Northern Territory is Australia. Northwest mm-hmm. Territory is Canada, which I believe I've done both Canada and yeah. Australia geography. Yeah, I think you have, yeah. Because mm-hmm. there it is. It comes up. So. Yep. They ended up giving it to him, but I felt bad for Nick at the $2,000 level of Belgium. It was the very last clue in world I war scene <laughs> in world war one the second battle of this western belgian city with a capital y and with a well, well i guess it was all capital with a y in quotation marks in city saw some of the earliest use of deadly poison gas nick rang in and then said i can't remember how the how he tried to pronounce it what is eeps eep what is eeps what is epre and Ken says, the S is silent, the R is kind of silent, you got there eventually. And like, it's it's the city spelled Y-P-R-E-S. Mm-hmm. So like, Ypres is the, is the French pronunciation. But like, holding somebody to like, figuring that out correctly seems like an unreasonable standard to me. I agree. I agree. <laughs> I would have done the exact same thing. I'd have been like, Ypres. Yuppers, yeah, yuppers. The city of yuppers. I, I think I would have just the spelled city of it. yuppers. Yeah, no, I I'd think been, I, I think spelling it is the way to go. Actually, I think you know attempt yeah. it, and if Ken is hesitating, or like, you know, ypres, ypres, the, the city spelled ypres. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to spell unless it's a spelling category. But I think right. I think that if you spell it out, spell out something you're not sure how to pronounce, they will take that in lieu of knowing how to pronounce it. I would hope so. Yeah. You certainly have completely demonstrated that you know what you mean if you spell it correctly. Right. The 18th century technology at the $1,600 level. Musicians can thank John Shore, who invented this in 1711. It vibrated at 423.5 cycles a second. Nick got it. That's a tuning fork. It makes sense. I also, I have to wonder, like, did he, like, does it count that he invented a tuning fork? Because we've had vibrating metal before that. And like, I, I guess specifically the thing that was invented for the purpose of tuning. Right. I guess. But it was weird to me that that's like, we can point to an exact date in history when the tuning fork was invented. Yeah. Huh. I thought we were just like matching pitch to things. And also yeah. 423.5 cycles per second. That's really low for an A. Yeah. Because I mean, 
by now we typically go with 440 440 right yeah yeah or 442 if you're in japan mm. didn't, didn't although know they might have, they might have moved to 440 by now yeah but. i want with like how far off from 440 do you need to get before like like you know an, an average person can be like those are different notes it does it doesn't match right like oh like how that, how precise are we on this i don't remember the exact number but that's least noticeable difference lnd mm-hmm. which is which is a very studied thing hmm. and in particular if you're interested in that kind of thing there are musicians and composers who work outside of the 12 tone system at and look for different like equal divisions of the octaves so if you find something that's like 16 edoo or EDO, or, you know, 24 EDO, or 32 equal divisions of the octave. It's basically the idea that once, as long as you are beyond the least noticeable difference, why should we just stick to 12 notes in an octave? Mm-hmm. When we have so many more sounds available to us, yeah, to our perception, why not make music that way? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into that argument now, because that's not what this podcast is about. But I have had that argument with people. Yeah. I'm so glad I asked. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting psychological study of, yeah. of least noticeable difference, both with like with with any sense, right? There is a there is a threshold at which the average person will notice a difference and will not on the other side. So mm-hmm. Daily Double number two is in company name origins at the sixteen hundred dollar level. Pick number four. Kit finds this one. She's at 4,000 with Nick at 5,800 and Deanna at 3,800. She goes for it and makes it a true daily double. And she gets the clue. James Church chose this name for his product because the symbols of the god Vulcan represented power. She doesn't know. She tries what is Firestone, but it is Arm and Hammer. And uh, not a, then not a bad guess. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a solid guess. And then she has some misses trying to recover and ends up getting into the red, um, but eventually back out of the red. Yeah. And daily double number three is in Belgium at the $1,600 level. Nick finds this one. He's up to 20200 already. Deanna's at 3000 Kit's at 1200 So he's way ahead. And he wagers only 1000 Gets a clue. This large cultural and linguistic group lives in southern Belgium and speaks predominantly French. And he gets it correct with what are the Walloons. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Nick is in a lock position with 23,200. Deanna is at 3,000. Kit is at 1,200. The final Jeopardy category is musicians. And the clue is, an Esquire profile said, the most distinguishing thing about the face of this singer are his eyes, clear, blue, and alert. This was obvious to me, but Kit turned out to be the only one who got it. With who is Mm -hmm. Frank Sinatra. Um, Yeah. Yeah, old blue eyes. She wagered 21, putting her at 1221, which is a palindrome. Deanna tried who is David Bowie and wagered everything, so drops to zero. Nick also tried who is David Bowie. So I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't think David Bowie had blue eyes. He had notable eyes. Yeah. Blue. He wore blue eye shadow sometimes. Perhaps. Perhaps. But, you know, they both came up with it. So, like, you know, it seems like seems like if two Jeopardy contestants have the same same guess, like it must be a reasonable guess, even if I don't see the logic. Yeah. Anyway, Nick didn't wager anything. So he keeps his 23,200 score and is a finalist. 
Yeah. And then we get to Thursday. Semi-final number two, where the contestants Amy Beckerman, a copy editor from Durham, New Hampshire, Ed Hashima, a community college history professor from Sacramento, California, and Jen Jeswinski, a youth services librarian from Algonquin, Illinois. We have the Jeopardy round categories. The A list with A in quotation marks. Biblical Zoo. Whatchamacallit. They Come in Sevens. Put Me In and Coach. I saw some fussing on like maybe Jeopardy's social media uh, about the $200 level of biblical zoo symbolic animals in the KJV include the dragon and this single horned animal mentioned in numbers 2322. Amy got that. That's a unicorn. And some Jeopardy viewers opened their Bibles and didn't see the word unicorn there because, because Jeopardy regards the King James version as authoritative for better or worse. That's the one mm-hmm. they look at. It says unicorn in the KJV. More modern translations don't go with that. The one that I look at most often translates it as wild ox. Which are basically the same thing. Basically the same. Yes. I see a wild ox and I think, look at that majestic mythical beast. I bet it's magical and could imbue me with everlasting life. Yeah. <laughs> the NIV has wild ox. American standard version was has unicorn. Yeah. So I think depending on, yeah, it depends on your translation, but Jeopardy uses the KJV, which does have unicorn. Mm-hmm. I do not know coaches at all, but Ed does. He ran the category. Yes. Yeah. He did. And, and in order to, yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of these names I recognized. Although I can't, I couldn't match them up to teams. The only one I knew was the $1,000 level, which I didn't know by the coach. Gino Oriyama led this university yeah, to yeah. back-to-back 39-0 championship years in women's hoops. And I didn't know the coach, but I do know that there's one school that's especially notable for women's basketball in, yeah. I don't know, in recent years. So the University of Connecticut. Yeah, that's kind of the one to to guess even if you're not sure mm-hmm. everyone's favorite uh and by everyone's i mean my one of my favorite trivia vocabulary questions was the thousand dollar level of whatchamacallit it's the five letter word for the end of a shoelace made of either plastic or metal so it's easier to thread that's an aglet it is an Amy. aglet i love that yeah there's no reason to know that other than you said to yourself i wonder what that's called and then looked it up right yeah I mean, I guess unless I mean, you work in like the shoelace industry. Unless you have a dog who keeps chewing the aglets off of your shoelaces, which I do. But I knew mm. it before. I just didn't have, I used to no, not have opportunity to use my my little bit of shoelace knowledge. And now I do. Mm-hmm. I can I can just all casually be like, you know, oh, she's such a good dog, except that she likes to chew off the aglets from my shoes. <laughs> And wait and for people to be like, the what? What's an aglet? Like, yeah. well. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Daily double number one is pick number three at the $1,000 level of biblical zoo. And Jen finds it. Uh, she's at 200. Ed is at zero. Amy's at 600. She wagers 1,000. And she gets the clue. After crossing this, Miriam led a chorus of the horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. And she gets it correct. It is the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round... Jen is at 2,800, Ed at 7,000, Amy at 6,600. And the double Jeopardy categories are Nordic literature, cartoon theme songs, Name That Rebellion, modern architectural styles, 
blank of blank and oxymorons. I was very pleased with myself for calling the correct response of the the daily double, the second daily double before the question came out. <laughs> yeah, it was we'll we'll get to it, but we'd already done the $400 level of name that rebellion and I was like I was like there were two rebellions that come to mind immediately like I just know the names of them and we've already done one, so I bet the $800 level is the other one. And I I did a deep dive on the boxer rebellion. Yes, you did. The $400 level. Mhm. The $1,600 level of oxymorons, I have another wouldn't they have had to take question. It's the oxymoronic name for the comparatively small instrument seen here. And Amy got that. It was a baby grand, but it was a baby grand pianoforte. True. Could be a pianoforte. I think they would have had to take pianoforte. You know, that makes sense. Yep. Which is the older name, full name. The full the, name the of government a piano. name. Yeah, the, the Christian name <laughs> of, of a piano. It mean it means soft loud because it could. Uh, Kyle's in charge of giving us the the music history trivia, trivia around here because it can play soft and loud, unlike right. its predecessors. That's right. Yeah. Tough miss for Ed at the two thousand dollar level of blank a blank. They showed a map. As seen on the map, this island lies between England and Ireland, about twenty miles south of Scotland. He guessed what's the Isle of Wight. So Amy got the Isle of Man. Mm-hmm. Who knows where those two are? But if it's not one, it's the other. Yeah. There's no way of knowing. You know. It's it. It is. They actually they actually switch to confuse us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As they, islands do. We've talked about this. Yes. <laughs> islands move around. They they switch the islands on the same day that they add another another variety, another species, another thing to the list of things that are actually cultivars of brassica. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And also oceans. Yes. <laughs> All knowledge is is in flux. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Daily double number two. Daily double number two is in name that rebellion at the eight hundred dollar level. Ed finds it. Pick number ten. Uh, he's at eleven thousand. Jen's at forty eight hundred. Amy's at nine thousand. He wagers four thousand. Gets a clue. Pennsylvania seventeen ninety four. The feds versus farmers over a tax on liquor. And he gets it correct with what is it? Oh, it's the whiskey rebellion. Right. The other one, right? That you yeah. knew. <laughs> the other one. Yes. Not the boxer. The whiskey. It was like boxer yeah. and whiskey are going to be there at the low levels. And I was right. Yes, you were. I know how they put a Jeopardy board together. Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is at the $1,200 level of blank of blank. It's pick number three. And Jen finds this one. And this time she's got more than 200. Uh, she's got 9,600. Ed's up at 21,400, Amy's at 12,600, and Jen knows she's got to make a move here. And she does. She bets 9,000. She's going to, if she misses, she's leaving herself just 600, but she wants to get up close to Ed if possible. She gets the clue, similes, metaphors, and personification, for example. And she figures it out. She says, what are figures of speech? So going into Final Jeopardy. Jen is at 20,200, Ed is at 23,000, and Amy is at 14,600. High scores all around. We have the final Jeopardy category, Science Etymology. And the clue is first detected in the sun's atmosphere in 1868. It got its name from an old word for sun. Amy got it correct with what is helium. Mm -hmm. Not sure what she was going for before, but got it correct with what is helium. Wagered 14,500, which is all but 100. So she goes up to 29,100. Jen got it correct with what is helium and bet everything, which is strategically unwise. But she got it mm-hmm. right. So she goes up to 40,400. Ed 
made a cover bet of 18,000, but he got it incorrect. He wrote, what is hydrogen? Thanks for having me back. And then he crossed off hydrogen and it looks like he was trying to write helium, but he ran out of time. Yeah. So he was incorrect and drops to third place. So Jen moves on to the finals. Yep. And that brings us to Friday. Our contestants for this semifinal are Dennis Chase, a biotech project manager from Palm Springs, California. Danielle Moore, a digital marketing manager from Peachtree Corners, Georgia. And Fred Nelson, a university professor from Fresno, California. And the Jeopardy Run categories are Tips from the Ancients, Famous Gingers, Sino the Times, Inexplicable, each response will come from the letters in Explicable, I'd Like a Drink, and It's the Cockatiel Hour. I don't know if I would have a more miserable hour than a cockatiel hour. <laughs> I know some people have birds as pets and more power to them, but goodness gracious. I don't know mm. why I feel so strongly about... Not a bird fan? No. Birds belong outside and away from me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just... They're noisy, and they smell bad, and I don't... I just... I just don't see... I, I mean, whatever. People like what they like. And I some just people don't like birds. <laughs> I, I don't understand how they bring joy to anybody. It, it, sorry. You don't sorry. understand how... Birds at all, or like pet birds? Pet like, birds. Okay, so birds birding... that you have to take care of. Birding okay. is fine. You're going like it's it's all, it's kind of like fishing. You're out in peaceful nature, and you happen to be doing something while you're there. Okay, something that really requires minimal effort. He, not to say he's that birding coming is for the birders. I'm not saying birding is like easy. Like yeah. I have a lot of respect for. I have a friend who is an avid birder, and he mm -hmm. takes he takes excellent photos. And I understand that it is a it is a a passionate thing. Mm -hmm. That's fine. But none of the birders are are then putting the bird in a cage and bringing it in their home and being like, "Hey, honey, honey, check out this sweet pet I got. We can't let it out because it'll escape and it'll <laughs> blow over everything." <laughs> But it's awesome, isn't it? Kids, kids, I know you can't hear me because it's so freaking loud. <laughs> Sorry, my my older daughter has recently been asking a lot if we could get a parrot for Christmas, which, I mean, it's just like a hard no all That's the time, hard, no matter absolutely what. Absolutely not. Like... <laughs> Like any, any, any other pet is a hard no. We are, we have more than enough with the one dog we have mm -hmm. who is, you know, senile and we're dealing with all of that. So yeah, across the board, no pets, but also I am like, you could not have asked for a le less likely pet. Mm -hmm. Like I, I will not have a pet bird in my house. It's great. <laughs> all right. So, so cockatiel hour is a hard no. Yeah. But if you're if you're stuck in cockatiel hour, you definitely want a drink. Amen. The eight hundred dollar level of I'd like a drink. This cocktail of whiskey, sweet vermouth, and a cherry sounds like Peter Minwu paid twenty four dollars for it. And at a fancy bar, he might. That's a Manhattan, and honestly, in Manhattan, I would not be at all surprised to pay twenty dollar twenty four dollars for one, and maybe more. Honestly. I'm a fan of the perfect Manhattan, though. Um, I mean, who isn't the fan of a perfect thing? Yeah. Perfect Manhattan means that instead of sweet vermouth, you use equal parts sweet and dry. 
not not doubling the vermouth like half as much sweet as normal and then and then an equal measure of dry interesting vermouth. yeah hmm, although sometimes you order a perfect manhattan from somebody who doesn't know what they're doing and they think that you're just being cute and they give you a regular manhattan which is also fine <laughs> But, but I judge no, a little. That's that's when you throw it back in their face and say, this is not what I ordered. Yeah. You simpleton. All right. Daily double number one is in tips from the ancients at the $800 level. Pick number 22. Danielle uncovers it. She's at 2200 Fred is at 3600 Dennis is at 5000 And she bets it all. Gets the clue. Completes the Hippocratic injunction to help or at least to do, and she gets it correct with what is no harm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Fred is at 4,800. Danielle is up to the lead at 7,400, and Dennis is at 6,200. Double Jeopardy categories are Nashville, Geographic, uh, fictional movie bands, possessive book titles, an American in Paris, chess, and adjectives with A in quotation marks. Except for the four hundred and maybe eight hundred dollar level possessive book titles was just like an inventory of books I could care less about. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> we had the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy at the four hundred dollar level. It's been a while, but I love some Douglas Adams. And then at the eight hundred dollar level, Kurt Vonnegut Blank's Cradle. It's Cat's Cradle. Um, Vonnegut Bros are tiresome, but like, sure, okay. And then we had Philip Roth Blank's Complaint, that's Portnoy, Umberto Echo Blank's Pendulum, that's Foucault's Pendulum, and Marcel Proust Blank's Way, that's Swan's Way. I don't know. Like, Philip Roth, Umberto Echo, and Marcel Proust are like, I mean, I haven't been reading a lot recently, but in general, I'm a person who reads a lot, but I just can't bring myself to trudge through <laughs> any of their work. I understand yeah. that. There's a lot that I kind of feel that way. Yeah. I will say, I have read nearly four books in the last month. Whoa! Which is, which is big for me, considering I hadn't read any books for the last yeah. like, year. I've been, so. I have fully switched from books to video games for the time being. I don't know when the last time was that I read. It's not great, but that's okay. Hey, you there know are what? seasons for everything. Seasons for everything, yeah. Books aren't going anywhere. Mm -hmm. What's the best book you read in the last month? I read The Underground Railroad. Oh, in my head. But I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of switching off between like more brain candy ish and more like quote unquote serious literature. Mm -hmm. Not because I feel like elitist about serious literature. It's just like some of it is much harder to read, and I'm gonna give myself a break. So I read a couple of Dresden Files books. Nice around, around it, and I am almost. I'm like making my way to the end of hundred years of solitude. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling pretty yeah. good about it. Nice. Cause my daughter started reading chapter books. And so she decided that every, everything for her has to be a competition. So she was like, I bet I can read my book before you finish your book. And I was like, I bet you can't, but okay, let's do this. <laughs> so that's been, that's been fun. Yeah. I I haven't been reading so much recently, but something I like doing when my kids are supposed to like do their because like the school says, you know, they're supposed to read on their own for X number of minutes per day. Mm -hmm. And so I tell them that we're having reading club and that my job is to sit next to them, and make sure they pay attention to their book. And their job is to sit next to me, make sure I pay attention to my book and don't look at my phone. <laughs> <laughs> 
fact. Uh, it's I bet great. they're good at that. <laughs> they are. They're great at that. I, I highly recommend it as a way to both get your child to read and get yourself to read. Yeah. <laughs> they're going to hold you to that phone thing. Oh, my God, they will. <laughs> um, yeah. Fictional movie bands. I didn't know all of these, but I think the contestants did. Nope. Nope. They did not. Never mind. The $2,000. I had n- never heard of this one. In a 1984 film... Peter Weller. Is this lead singer backed by the Hong Kong Cavaliers? Apparently that's Buckaroo Bonsai. I I don't know. But we had some we had some fun ones that I did remember. Jack Black fronted and provided tutelage to this young band, also a 2003 movie title. That's School of Rock. And the Broadway musical of that was really fun, also. Hmm. And then I just have a special place in my heart for the $1,200 level. This movie covers the rise yeah. of the wonders. Later, the wonders. They change it from one, like O-N-E, the O-Neaters, to, uh, to the wonders, like W-O-N-D-E-R-S. Mm. That's that's that thing you do. It's such a good movie. It's such a good movie. Yeah. It's so good. It's so sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and really good music. Yeah. Really good music. Daily Double number two is in adjectives with a in quotation marks, is at the $1,600 level. It's pick number 18, and Dennis finds it. He's at 16200 with Fred at 8400 and Danielle at 8600 He wagers 8000 which if he misses, will drop him into third place, but just barely. And he gets the clue, looking for a word to describe a cloudless sky? Try this light blue. And he gets it correct with azure. As sure, I'm never quite sure how to how to hit that Z. Not as sure there is a. I don't think there's a wrong way. I yeah. think you could say it Azure. I think you could say it Azure. And I think if anybody wants to get corrective about it, I think that's just unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And daily double number three is in Nashville Geographic at the two thousand dollar level. Pick number twenty eight. This is very late. Danielle finds this one as well. She's at eleven thousand. Fred is at eighty four hundred, and Dennis is at twenty eight thousand six hundred. Mm-hmm. In a really, really strong round. Uh, and she wagers 5000 Gets the clue, a very rich businessman gave his name and money to this prestigious university in Nashville. Go Commodores! And she gets it correct with who is Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. The Commodore. Yeah. They had close to a perfect first round, I'm realizing. Mm-hmm. There was one miss and rebound. Mm-hmm. And other than that, everything was correctly answered first try. Everything yeah. was correctly answered. So we come to Final Jeopardy. Fred's at 8,400. Danielle's at 16,800. Dennis is at 30,600. And the Final Jeopardy category is business. With the clue, this company announced on September 29th, 2023, we will send out the last red envelope. Broke my mom's heart. It's the last one they sent. But I can tell you that I am in possession of red envelope <laughs> right now. <laughs> How many do they still have to get back? They all got this one correct. What is Netflix? They mm-hmm. all they all phrased it right and put the quotation the, the put the question mark. So I we can't joke and joke around about any of that here. Just what mm-hmm. is Netflix across the board? Fred wagered everything and goes up to sixteen thousand eight hundred. Danielle wagered everything and goes up to thirty three thousand six hundred. And Dennis wagered three thousand and three dollars, which puts him. $3 out of Danielle's reach at 33603 and gives yep. him the finalist spot. So that's yes. the week. I guess we head into the 
finals on Monday. Great way to start a week with the very end of a tournament. Yes. I, I like it better than splitting around, you know, like that's when it's true. like that's fair. when it's like se- semifinal game three. I can't remember what what variations we've done here, but like I feel like we've we've, you know, had like the last game of the quarterfinals or last game of the semifinals on Monday and then start the next kind of phase on Tuesday and that somehow that just doesn't I don't know, that bugs me. But Starting a two-day total point on fair, affair on Monday is not not my favorite, but I'm, I'm willing to live with it in this very weird Jeopardy era that we're in right now. <laughs> sure. And and that brings us to the break in the episode when we remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables. I'm opening the tab now, and we'll see whether I close the tab before I put the quiz questions, but I don't think I will. I think you're getting quiz questions from me this week. You can head there to slide us a couple bucks a month to help us with the cost of making this podcast. And we will try to give you the quiz questions before they go live and exclusive content from time to time. There's some stuff on there and, you know, sometimes we throw something up on there for fun. Last Thanksgiving, I put up my pie recipe, I believe, and it's all still there. So thanks to those of you who are helping us out with that. We really, really appreciate your support, which helps us to be able to do this thing, which we enjoy and we hope you do too. And we don't like to plug our Patreon without acknowledging that there are more important things in the world. So some of the organizations that we care about that we think are doing good work are in our show notes. So Kyle, what are your deep dive guesses? There, there are a few. There, there are some that I'm like. This would be. This is a great topic to talk about, but I'm not sure that it would be, you know, deep dive material. So I don't know. I've, I've got some, got some guesses. Okay. Is Constantine? No, I've done. I've, I, I, I looked at it and I was like, well, that would be, you know, kind of wheelhousey for me. But also, I've been boring the people with <laughs> pedantic religion deep dives plenty recently so sure I'll let that okay. would go on by okay it's tough it's tough are you talking about Niels Bohr I'm not got to pick for the last one are you talking about James Watt no i ah. am not i went with kind of a weird one i don't know i was in a silly goofy mood so we're going Are back talking to- about national birds yes or state birds okay i am i oh it went through my mind i was like she could i i might talk about the state birds when they could- missed the rhode island red yeah all yes. right. Well, there you go. Yes. it doesn't count because it was my fourth guess but that's why i was trying to get you to say that you didn't like birds earlier during the cockatiel yeah. category <laughs> so i mean i know it drives everybody crazy when i do the massive list deep dives but i looked at the state birds and you know what there's a fair amount of repetition we don't there have to cover is. we don't have to cover that many birds and i did find some fun facts and like little tidbits here and there to help some of this be not just not just not just a a, a list but you know to help you help you you know kind of maybe remember some of these a little bit better. So I thought I'd do state birds. Great. So first of all, how did the concept of state birds start? Great question. In the 1920s, the General Federation of Women's Clubs introduced the idea of naming a state bird for each state. Informal voting was taken by women's clubs circulating ballots. I'm not totally sure if they were circulating it to 
like their membership or like to the population in general. But in any case, they they took these informal votes on what the state bird should be for each state. And the results were presented as a recommendation to each state's legislature. In some cases, the recommendation was adopted. In other cases, it was replaced. But, you know, that having a recommendation kind of, you know, on the table led to the state legislature choosing some bird and, you know, naming an official state bird. And in other cases, it was ignored. And it took, you know, years or decades for states to name their state birds. But by this point, every state except for one has an official state bird. The one that does not have an official state bird is Pennsylvania. Um, They don't have one. Uh, Really? Yes. Uh, Pennsylvania has an official state game bird, but not a state bird. So yes. <laughs> you have an official bird you're encouraged to kill. Yes, <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. And there are some states that have an official bird plus an official like game bird or waterfowl or raptor or or something else in addition to their state bird. And in one case, Oregon, they there was like a debate, we'll get to it, but there was a debate about changing the state bird, which led to, they made the former state bird, the state songbird and the proposed alternative, the state raptor. Yeah. All right. So the first state to adopt a state bird was the state of Kentucky in 1926. Their state bird is the Northern Cardinal, also known as the Red Cardinal, the Common Cardinal, or just the Cardinal. And the Cardinal has turned out to be the most popular state bird. It is the state Mm -hmm. bird of seven states, along with Kentucky. The cardinal is the state bird of Indiana, Illinois, North Carolina, Ohio, Virginia, and West Virginia. And I don't have a whole lot to say about cardinals. They're, They're the red ones with the prominent crests. A lot of these birds I, you know, I dug up, you know, some facts about, but I didn't see anything that made me that excited about about cardinals so i figured first state bird in kentucky in 1926 and the most common state bird seven states six states share the western meadow lark yeah they as do their state love bird. a western meadow lark yeah, yeah. <laughs> the western meadow meadow lark has distinctive calls described as watery or flute like which distinguish it from the closely related eastern meadowlark. It nests on the ground in open grasslands across western and central North America, so you shouldn't be surprised that that it is the state bird of Montana, Kansas, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oregon, and Wyoming. And let's circle back to Oregon like I promised. Oregon uh, now has the meadowlark as their state songbird and their official state raptor is the osprey, also known as the seahawk, riverhawk, or fishhawk. During the 2017 regular session of the Oregon legislature, there was a short-lived controversy over the western meadowlark status as the state bird versus the osprey. The sometimes spirited debate included state representative Rich Vile playing the meadowlark song on his smartphone over the house microphone. (laughs) And then they ultimately reached the compromise with SCR 18, making the western meadowlark the state songbird and the osprey the state raptor. God, don't we love state legislatures? (laughs) Very much so. I mean, 
I guess if this is the kind of thing they're going to be working, like, sure, I guess. Sure. Yeah, it's Um, better than making like terribly restrictive voting laws. mm -hmm. Yeah, this seems this seems, you know, harmless and and fun. Um, Five states share the northern mockingbird as their state bird. The northern mockingbird is known for its mimicking ability as reflected by the meaning of its scientific name, Turdus polyglottus. Ooh. Many-tongued mimic, although turdus, T-U-R-D-U-S, sort of cracks me up. Yeah, Man- um, many-tongued turd. <laughs> I mean, they act like it. Sometimes so. they are. Sometimes they are. The northern mockingbird has it has gray to brown plumage with white patches on its tail and wings that are visible in flight. It's the state bird of Arkansas. Florida, Mississippi, Tennessee, and Texas. And it used to be the state bird of South Carolina. South Carolina named the mockingbird as their state bird in 1939, but then changed to the Carolina wren in 1948. We'll come back to the Carolina wren in a little bit. And Mississippi was one of the one of the five with the mockingbird as its state bird. But Mississippi also has a state waterfowl, the wood duck, which mm. is also the state waterfowl or the state, no, the state duck of South Carolina. And Tennessee, the mockingbird is its state bird, but it is it has a state wild game bird, the bobwhite quail, which is going to come up I think two more times. Um, the bobwhite quail. The bobwhite quail. Hmm. Yep. I found fun facts about official state birds, but I I drew the line at <laughs> <laughs> the waterfowls and waterfowl mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. wild game birds and stuff. I'm just mentioning that they exist. I did not like go find things out about them. All right. So, and, and I'm ordering this by, I started by the most common state bird. So I'm, I'm doing, I'm doing all of the, all of the repeated ones. And then we'll go through the, like, you know, this one is the state bird of only this state ones. So the American Robin is the state bird of three states, Connecticut, Michigan, and Wisconsin. So far, the shared birds have mostly been a little bit more clustered than this. But yeah, Wisconsin and Michigan and then Connecticut have mm. the robin as their state bird. It's named after the European robin because of its reddish orange breast, but the two species are not actually closely related. And according mm. to the Partners in Flight database, the American robin is the most abundant land bird in North America with approximately 370 million individual birds. Well, it's like it's, it's like the population of the United States. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes it is. And Wisconsin and Michigan also have another bird in their state symbols, the Eastern Morning Dove, which for Michigan is the state symbol of peace and for Michigan is the state bird of peace. Hmm. Yeah. The American goldfish goldfinch is the state bird of three states, Iowa, New Jersey and Washington, but they have special regional names for like, I think maybe they're subspecies of goldfinch, but the species is just American goldfinch. That said, Iowa and New Jersey both say that their state bird is the Eastern goldfinch and Washington says their state bird is the willow goldfinch. Neither the Eastern goldfinch nor the willow goldfinch are like official species, Um, but that's what they're called in those places. It was chosen for Washington by school children in 1951. And you can find gold, the, the range of the goldfinch covers the entirety of the United States. The chickadee 
Specifically, the mm. black-capped chickadee is the state bird of two states, Massachusetts and Maine. So, you know, my home state. Their name reputedly comes from the fact that their calls make a distinctive chickadee-dee-dee-dee-dee sound. Mm. Um, and the number of Ds in the chickadee's call varies depending on the predator that they are alerting other birds to. Massachusetts also has a state game bird, the wild turkey. That one's going to come up again. And then we've got we've got bluebirds, two kinds of bluebirds. There are three species of bluebirds in the United States, but two of them are state birds for two states apiece. Uh, the eastern bluebird is the state bird of Missouri and New York. Bluebirds were popular with early American colonists and associated with the coming of spring. They were refer referred to as the blue robin because apparently they also resemble the European robin. I think they also have like a red breast, like a mm. like a, an American robin. And the bluebird comes up a lot in literature and song, often associated with joy or happiness. Missouri, I mentioned bluebird. The bluebird is their official state bird, but they're another one with the bobwhite quail as their state game bird, like Tennessee. Okay. And then the mountain bluebird is the second of the three species of bluebird. The other one's the western bluebird. Nobody has the western bluebird as their state bird. Um, but the mountain bluebird is the state bird of Idaho and Nevada. And the Twitter logo bird, <laughs> RIP, <laughs> is based right. on the mountain bluebird. Mountain bluebirds are really pretty. They are. I'm, I'm jealous of y'all out there with the mountain bluebirds. Like our bluebirds are okay. Mountains are great. Yeah. The adult male mountain bluebird has very bright turquoise blue plumage. Idaho also has a state raptor, the peregrine falcon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Two states have chickens as their state birds, as we discussed earlier. Uh, the Rhode Island Red is an American breed of domestic chicken. It's the state bird of Rhode Island. It was developed there. It's like a hybrid of like an Asian species and a European species of chicken. It was... A dual-purpose breed raised both for meat and for eggs. Modern strains have been bred more for their egg-laying abilities. Um, and it's distinct from the Rhode Island white. Uh, the Delaware Blue Hen, or the Blue Hen of Delaware, is a blue strain of American Gamecock. It is not a recognized chicken breed. It's just a particular coloring. Mm. of American Gamecock. According to one story during the Revolutionary War, the men of the second company of the 1st Delaware Regiment under Captain Jonathan Caldwell took with them blue game chickens, which acquired such a reputation for their fighting ability that the men also came to be known as Blue Hen's Chickens. So that Striking may be... fear in the hearts of the enemy. <laughs> Just some very fierce chickens. That, that may be where the Delaware Blue Hen got its name. Yeah. So we have covered 32 states. There are 17 states that have unique state birds. And then as we've discussed, Pennsylvania doesn't have a state bird at all. So these are now one-to-one. -one. We're going alphabetically by state. Alabama's state bird is, it's called, it, they name their state bird as the Yellowhammer. The Yellowhammer mm. is a colloquial name for the northern flicker or common mm. flicker. Ah, common yes. flicker. Yes, the common flicker, which, have you ever seen lists of birds that sound like they were named by people who hate birds? Sometimes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that fits. Anyway, the, the northern flicker is part of the woodpecker family. They're apparently pretty loud. So maybe they can go to cockatiel hour. They, they drum on objects as a form of communication and territory defense. So they're loud on purpose. And Doesn't Alabama, make it better. Yeah. <laughs> Alabama's state, bird, state game bird is the wild turkey. Alaska's state bird is the willow. Willowed. 
Ptarmigan. Ptarmigan. Ptarmigan yes. with a P. Because <laughs> this is an auditory medium. You might <laughs> you might assume it starts with a T. It is not it does not. It's P T A R M I G A N, the willow ptarmigan, which is a member of the grouse subfamily of the pe- pheasant family. The peasant family. The pheasant right. family. Also known as the willow grouse. Mm-hmm. Arizona state bird is the cactus wren. Yeah. Uh, gets its name from the it frequents desert cactus plants, building nests, roosting, and seeking protection from predators among them. And their song has been compared to the sound of a car engine that won't start. <laughs> it's a funny sound. <laughs> I have. But they're a cool bird. Yeah. <laughs> I have not had the privilege of hearing a cactus wren. <laughs> California state bird is the California quail. The quail population has fluctuated significantly throughout California. Once plentiful in San Francisco, by 2017, only one California quail remained in the city. Local birders named the male bird Ishi after the last known member of California's Native American Yahi tribe. Mm. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing the tribe name correctly. But yeah, the California quail. We're to Colorado. I bet you can tell us Colorado state bird. It's the lark bunting. It is the lark bunting. It's a medium-sized American sparrow native to Central and Western North America. They migrate in flocks to Southern Texas, Arizona, and the high plateau of Northern Mexico in the fall. Do you have anything more interesting than that about the lark bunting to share? I do not know. Okay. Yeah, I, d- I didn't find too much like super exciting about the lark bunting. No, um, I wish we had a cooler bird. Yeah. yeah. Georgia's state bird is the brown thrasher. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's another one named by people who hate birds. It is part of the family Mimidae, so including catbirds and mockingbirds. Noted for having over a thousand song types and the largest song repertoire of any bird. And Georgia also has the bobwhite quail as its state game bird, the same as Tennessee and Missouri. Hawaii state bird is the Hawaiian goose, the nene. The nene. Which that that name comes from its soft call. I guess it's sort of onomatopoeic. Louisiana's state bird, of course, is the the brown pelican which is one of three mm-hmm. pelican species found in the Americas. But Louis- Louisiana is the only state with a pelican as its state bird, and its state bird is the brown pelican. The brown pelican actually became extinct in 1963 in Louisiana. Yeah, between 1968 and 1980, the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries a reintroduction program reestablished the brown pelican in Louisiana. And... By 1985, its population in the eastern United States had recovered and the species was removed from the endangered species list, which is, I think, kind of a cool story of recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Maryland state bird is the Baltimore Oriole, and it gets its name not from, you know, being having its habitat around Baltimore, Maryland, but because its coloring is similar to the coat of arms of Lord Baltimore. Hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's got that kind of, I guess, like black and, black and yellow, orange. Yeah, black and yeah. orange kind of coloring. Minnesota's state bird is the common loon. The common loon is an expert fisher. It catches its prey underwater. It can dive as deep as 200 feet. And the common loon, I mean, Minnesota, like, you know, it's, it's up north. So loons are also common in Canada and appear on Canadian currency where they have those $1 coins that they call loonies. Mm-hmm. $2 coins are toonies. Yeah. 
Uh, New Hampshire state bird is the purple finch. It's really more of a ruby color, but it's a pretty bird. It's so beautiful. Yeah. The purple finch population has declined sharply in the east due to the house finch. Most of the time when those two species collide, the house finch outcompetes the purple finch, unfortunately, because the purple finch is pretty. Uh, which bird species should prevail probably doesn't have a lot to do with my aesthetics, but <laughs> purple finches are pretty. It's also been displaced from some habitat by the house sparrow, uh, which is not native to the Americas, um, I believe. Um, and New Hampshire also has a state raptor, the red-tailed hawk. Uh, New Mexico state bird, of course, is the greater roadrunner. Yep. Um, uh, inspiration for the nemesis of Wiley Coyote, um, who, you know, we have to bring up every time we can on this podcast. It's a long-legged bird in the cuckoo family. It is capable of limited flight, but it spends most of its time on the ground, and it can run at speeds of up to 20 miles per hour, mm -hmm. which is fast. Oklahoma state bird is the scissor-tailed flycatcher. It's also known as the Texas bird of paradise or the swallow-tailed flycatcher. It's a long-tailed insectivorous insectivorous. How do you say that? Mm -hmm. Insectivorous, I guess. Bird. Yeah. The scissor-tailed flycatcher is the bird that is depicted on the box of the game Wingspan. Ah. Yes. Oklahoma also has the wild turkey as its state game bird. Pennsylvania, as I mentioned, does not have a state bird. But its state game bird is the ruffed grouse. And we're back to South Carolina. Its state bird, now that it's not the mockingbird, is the Carolina wren. In 1930, the South Carolina Federated Women's Club adopted the Carolina wren as the unofficial state bird and pushed for its official st state adoption until 1939, when the South Carolina legislature ignored them and named the northern mockingbird as the state bird instead. <laughs> And then in 1948, the legislature repealed their previous decision, and the Carolina wren became the official state bird. South Carolina also has two other state birds in their official state symbols in other categories. Their state game bird is the wild turkey, and their state duck is the wood duck. South Dakota's state bird is the ring-necked pheasant. It is one of only two or three, depending on you, how you count them, U.S. state birds that are not native to the United States. Why does it depend on how you count them? It depends on hmm. how you're thinking about the chickens. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. The chickens. The chickens. Because both the Rhode Island red and the Delaware blue hen are, you know, from species that were brought over by, like, European colonists. So the ring-necked pheasant is native to Asia and parts of Europe, but it has been widely introduced elsewhere as a game bird, and so it is South Dakota's state bird. And Utah's state bird is the California gull. Have you heard this story before? I don't know the story. I know it's the California gull, which I always thought was really funny. Yes. So, okay. So, apparently, there was a plague of Mormon crickets, which I guess is a species mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. cricket. In Utah, like when Mormon settlers were new there, and there was like a, you know, perhaps miraculous intervention of California gulls eating all of these crickets, thereby protecting like the harvest. There is a monument in Salt Lake City to this event known as the Miracle of the Gulls. And that is the reason that the California gull is Utah's state bird. Huh. Yeah. 
And Vermont state bird is the hermit hermit thrush. The hermit thrush's song has been described as the finest sound in nature. Uh, It is ethereal and flute-like, consisting of a beginning note, then several descending musical phrases in a minor key (laughs) repeated at different pitches. The hermit thrush, as its name suggests, is a little shy. You hear it more than you see it but it does have a distinctive song. That covers all of the states. I will note that Washington, D.C.'s official bird is the wood thrush. Some of the U.S. territories have official birds also, but I figured, you know, I would, I would call it at the, at the states and, and stop there. So, so that's a little bit about state birds. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Let me, let me note, I don't have a lot to say about this but just as we were about to start recording i was looking at other state bird stuff and came across a like data-based proposal for replacing all of the state birds with species based on kind of what is uniquely prevalent in different states and I thought that was a really interesting, or I don't think it's going to happen because state legislatures, you know, but I thought it was a really interesting idea. And it was interesting to look at and see, oh, this state has, you know, 30% of the world's this, and this state has 99% of the world's that to see, you know, kind of if we did state birds based not on, you know, what's, <laughs> what state representatives, you know, came up with on some random Tuesday morning. And instead, based on, you know, like what bird watchers recognized as like unique to their states, what would what would be what would be we have as our state birds? I thought it was an interesting question. For New York, it would be the peregrine falcon, Mm. apparently, because we have a disproportionate number of the, you know, the the country's peregrine falcons. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for a quiz? Oh, yeah. I'm psyched. All right. So. I thought I would take some of those frequent state birds and come up with questions around those. Yeah. So question one. In ornithology, cardinal is a genus of birds characterized by a prominent crest and a thick, strong conical bill. In linguistics, the term cardinal has a different meaning. It's used in reference to numbers, and contrasts with what other term? Hmm. That's an interesting... So, when I hear cardinal, I also think of the word ordinal, but I'm not sure that those are contrasts. Hmm. Second-guessing my question writing now. Well, I mean, I... I'm going to say ordinal anyway. Yeah. Because that's the only thing I can come up with. Although I am thinking of now cardinal sins and the lesser ones are like menial sins. Mm. But I'm going to go with ordinal. Ordinal is what I intended. Yes. Yeah. So cardinal uh, indicates an amount, right? One, two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. Ordinal indicates position in a series, first, second, Uh, third, fourth, fifth. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. I got you. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. And I don't really have a fun fact about cardinals or about ordinal numbers, but a related fun fact, if you've ever encountered the uh, Christian liturgical term, ordinary time, that refers to ordinary, not in the sense of like plain or like not unusual, but in the sense of ordinal numbers. It's the right. it's the part of the year where we're sort of, we're sort of counting through the Sundays hmm. between special like seasons and holidays. Right. All right. So 
you are correct on that one. You're at 10 points. Question two. Meadowlark is the state bird of numerous states, and it is also the title of a coming-of-age graphic novel by what actor? Some films he's noted for include Dead Poet Society, Gattaca, Boyhood, and First Reformed. And his surname is ornithological in its own right. Hmm. Surname is ornithological in its own right. If I had seen more than one of those movies in my life, that might help me. So I'm going to go through some actors in my head and see if any of their names are ornithological. It would help me if I could remember any of the actors. (laughs) He also is in the Before Trilogy, Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight. He's also in Training Day. And Denzel Washington. <laughs> the uh, Northman. Yeah. I think the Northman. Um, the good, oh, the good Lord Bird. <laughs> okay, well, Matt Damon. Made his Broadway de- debut in The Seagull. <laughs> I'm going to oh, just keep pulling bird titles. <laughs> Willem Dafoe. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not going to waste more time on this. All right. I'll, know who, I'll pat. Yeah. Okay. Pass. It's Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Yeah. 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 I wasn't going to get to Ethan Hawke, but yes, of course. Of yeah. Course. Yeah. So he seems to be pivoting or or adding writing to his to his to his resume. He he's by he re- co-wrote this 2021 graphic novel with Greg Ruth, but it turns out that he's been writing other books as well. All right. You're at 10 points. Question three. In South Carolina, it's a crime to kill either a Carolina wren or a mockingbird. What iconic literary character who also has an ornithological surname tells us that the latter is also a sin? Oh, the one who tells us that is Atticus Finch. That is correct. Yes. And yeah, in, in South Carolina, it is it is a crime punishable by jail time and by a fine. Uh, you, can be, you can be fined or jailed or both for intentionally harming either their current state bird, the Carolina Wren, or their prior state bird, the Mockingbird. Yeah. But of course, To Kill a Mockingbird, the title references... Atticus Finch telling his his daughter, both of his children, I guess, yeah. that it's a sin to kill a mockingbird. Mm-hmm. All right. 10 points for that. You're at 20 points. Question four. There are numerous Robins in pop music, which I know is not your fave. So I've got a few options for you here. Name any one of these. Either of the hits by Swedish pop singer Robin that reached the top 10 of the Billboard Hot 100 in 1997. The title of the song written in 1926 and recorded numerous times by artists including Al Jolson, Doris Day, and Bing Crosby. 
or the title of the song recorded in 1958 by Bobby Day and covered in 1972 by Michael Jackson. Oh, oh no. (laughs) Okay. There is but one song that I can think of. And that is rock and Robin. Rock and Robin is correct.Ay. Yeah. Was that the uh, one that was uh, from uh, 1958? 1958 yeah, okay. Bobby Day covered in 1972 by Michael Jackson. When the Red Red Robin co- like I'm not sure where this title ends. <laughs> it's uh When the Red Red Robin in parentheses comes Bob Bob Bobbin along is Okay. <laughs> It's I a, do not know that song at all. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the 1926 song, which has been recorded by Bing Crosby, Dean Martin. Yeah, you'd think I'd recognize it. Yeah. And then Swedish pop star Robin. The one that I recognized of hers was Show Me Love, but apparently Do You Know What It Takes also charted. Hmm. Yeah. All right. You got that one correct, though, because you knew Rock and Robin. You're at. 30 points heading into question five the pulitzer prize winning novel the goldfinch is named after a real life painting in the novel the protagonist comes into possession of the painting in the aftermath of a terrorist attack at a museum name either the author of the novel the goldfinch or the artist of the painting the goldfinch ah crap (laughs) This is something I knew when it was like, like right at the time. Yeah. Uh, To me, the author is the easier one to get to, but I guess it depends on whether you're more into literary novels or Dutch masters. Yeah. Like I, mm, I think I'm going to have a better, a better shot at the artist. And I am going to go with. I don't now. Now I'm tra- now I'm getting my Dutch masters mixed up. Uh, not whatever. Have been right I don't to know. call him a Dutch master. I mean, it probably is. Yeah. Uh, fine, I'll go with Van Eyck. Okay, it is Carl Fabricius. Oh. Uh, he was a a little bit later. He's a student. Uh, then uh, mm, wait, is he later than Van Eyck? I don't know. He's a he's a he was a student of Rembrandt, and. Apparently, he was the only of Rembrandt's students to significantly deviate from Rembrandt's style using sort of lighter, lighter backgrounds, kind of a more luminous style. Um, But he was the painter of the Goldfinch. Other names that are coming up uh, for him are A View of Delft and The Sentry. And then the novel The Goldfinch is by Donna Tart. Tart. Yeah, Donna Tart. She's like a literary name to know Mm. all right so you're at 30 and we're gonna call the final category potent potables well now i have to bet 30 it's like the name of our thing i don't think you'll regret it all right so for 60 points a bluebird cocktail contains gin bitters and not surprisingly what liqueur which came up on jeopardy this week I'm going to guess it's blue curacao. It is blue curacao. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> My wife has a rule that she won't drink blue drinks anymore. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, it's it's a long story. We we were in Washington D.C. visiting friends, 
this was well before we had kids. This might even been before we were married. And we went to a bar and they had a blue drink. And she doesn't remember anything else. Oh, no. Even though after <laughs> after the bar, we went to Ben's Chili Bowl and had <laughs> some excellent chili, like chili fries and mm-hmm. chili dogs. And it was great. But no, she doesn't drink blue drinks anymore because of that. Fair so enough. So blue, blue Curacao does not enter our house. <laughs> yeah, that's very reasonable. I think the Bluebird cocktail has actually been around for a while, although I'm having a hard time finding finding that information again. Oh, yeah. No, here it is. The Savoy cocktail book. Oh, yeah. The Savoy uh, book is is pretty, like, storied. Yeah. And the Cafe, Cafe Royal cocktail book from 1937 has it. So it's, a, it, it's an old one. It's been around, um, yeah. Yeah. I've never had one. And it looks like some recipes maybe don't specify blue curacao, but I don't know why it would be a bluebird. If not, if if it's not blue, not sure right. where you get that. But yeah, it does look like a pretty cocktail. Although you know, I guess <laughs> if you're avoiding <laughs> blue cocktails, definitely avoid this one because it because it's very blue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, hey, sixty points. You 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 got it in the end, despite my uh, clumsy writing. <laughs> and, oh no, please! <laughs> and throwing pop music and Pulitzer Prize winner questions at you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, that's all valid. Yeah, it's true. Well, this was fun as always. So thank you, and thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you have a minute to do that. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who like Jeopardy, let them know about us. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. And we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.